Hello, and welcome to Mama's Nightmare. Come join us as we talk about anything from moms that murder, to family murderers, kids being kidnapped and or murdered, or even being killers, which are all a Mama's Nightmare. I'm Rhonda. I'm Alicia, and we're a mother-daughter duo giving you our spin on these nightmares from a mom's perspective. Today we're going to be talking about Catherine Knight and the man she murdered. I'm Rhonda, a mother of two and grandmother of four. I work full-time for a well-known app. I'm obsessed with true crime podcasts, shows, and documentaries. I'm Alicia, a wife and a stay-at-home mom of three who just started listening to true crime podcasts, but like watching documentaries and thrill-seeking movies with my husband. I'm the one that suggested we start a podcast, since we love to discuss these nightmares, and of course, I think people need to hear our opinion on them. For today's nightmare, we're going across the Pacific to the to the Outback, mateys. Trigger warnings for this episode include rape, murder, dismemberment, and cannibalism. Thanks for joining us. Now, let's grab a bag of popcorn and let's talk about a nightmare. Alright, so tonight we're going to be talking about Catherine Knight and the man named John Price, who she murdered in the year 2000 in Wales, Australia. It's an Aussie one. It's an Aussie one. And just the reason for the whole popcorn in the intro is because this this should be a horror film. This is This one's a doozy. Um, well, with all the, a clue for me for that one was all the trigger warnings that you gave us tonight. And for the record, I have not heard this story, and I'm a little freaked out by what all's going to happen. Yeah, so, okay, but before I can get into any of things about it, that what happened in 2000, I have to go back to Catherine Knight's history. Okay. Because she has a lot. Alright? So. Yay. Alright, so Jack Rohan was a manager at one of the coal mining places and was married to a woman named Barbara. Okay, we're going way back. Way back. Okay. They had four sons together. A scandalous affair happened between Barbara and one of Jack's workers. His name was Ken Knight, which ended in a divorce with Jack. The backlash was horrific. None of the children went and lived with Barbara. The two older boys lived with their dad. The two younger ones went and lived with their aunt in Sydney, Australia. Okay. Which, they were young. They were like babies wow. when she left. Okay. So, um, not a good mom. Yeah, so far. So far, not such a great, such a great mom. Ken and Barbara lived in a town in the middle okay. class. I have to say, it almost sounds like Ken and Barbie. But anyway, go Ken, with it. Ken and Barbara <laughs> moved into a town, uh, lived in a town where it's middle class, mostly cattle farms and coal mining area. They had four other children together, which included twin girls. Okay. Catherine. Barbara was busy. Yes. She's a very busy woman. Catherine was the oldest of twins that were born on October 24th. 1955 in South in New South Wales, Australia. Okay. Okay. In 1995, Catherine was about four years old, and Barbara's husband Jack, he died. So the two. Now, older, did I miss who her twin was? Um, her twin's name is Joy. 
Okay. I didn't get that information until a lot later, and I forgot to put that one part in there. It, it's in the other parts. That's okay. I just was wondering if I missed something or not. Nope. It's Catherine and Joy. Okay. They are the only two girls that was ever had that, between Barbara. That Barbara ever had. That Barbara ever had. So, Ooh, she had yes, four boys. boys. <laughs> she had... Uh, yeah, she had four boys and... Two girls and two more boys. And then, yeah. Okay. Okay, Caught so it. then... <laughs> Caught it. Okay, so in 1995, Catherine was about four years old. Barbara's ex-husband, Jack, he passed away. Barbara uh, Barbara got custody of the two older boys. Now, Barbara did try to get the two younger boys. But, by law, they I guess they went through the court battle, and the aunt actually won that. Because they've lived with her. For so long, they had a life. They had well, like you said, they were they were basically babies when she left. So you don't want to uproot them at this them point. Yes, and, and we have no proof that she was even in their lives up until that point. That's I don't totally, believe she ever was in so their life. I you mean, would disrupt them and bring them into a whole new pe- yeah, family. So, they don't so even the know. court That's, left them with no, their aunt. Yeah. and I think that was probably a good choice. Probably. But Ken Knight was an alcoholic who was violent and used intimidation to get what he wanted. Mm. He would rape his wife, Barbara, up to ten times a day. What? Hence, all the babies. Yeah. Really? How? How many times a day, really? It was a lot. Okay, so as a result of raping Barbara... She would tell Catherine about her sexual uh, encounters and would tell her how much she hated sex in men. This is... is, Catherine's four? I don't know how old she is at this point. Okay, we don't know the year We don't know exactly how... I mean, it just kind of gives you, like, just a backdrop I don't care if she was 20. She don't need to hear that about her mama. Yeah. So, later... On when Catherine was complaining about a sexual favor from a partner, her mother would tell her to stop complaining and just put up with it. Oh, I can complain, but I don't want to hear your complaints. Yeah. Catherine claimed that she was sexually assaulted by multiple members of her family, but she said except her father. Her father never touched her. Okay, so the the alcoholic at least didn't molest his daughter. Yes, all the way up until the age of 11. This is... This is what was told. Of course, it was never actually confirmed that this ever happened. It was just her word. She says it, but we don't know that it's true that Mm -hmm. she was actually molested by multiple family members. Yes. Okay. Okay. Catherine, as a child, went uh, went into a fight-or-flight mode, which it shows, which is... Which is one that she actually, she picked up on the fight instead of the flight. Okay. So instead of running from them, she decided to fight whoever came from whatever. Started, yeah, she started the whole fighting thing. At the age of 13, she moved to Muss Wellbrook, New South Wales. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Apart from Catherine's... Uh, Twin sister Joy. See, I told you I had it in here. Who was the only other person that she was close to was her uncle Oscar Knight. 
Okay. And he passed away. And not just passed away, he committed suicide. Ooh. In 1969, which is a big mark for when she started out. Her life changes Her dramatically. Her life starts changing dramatically. Sounds to me like so, la- like last week's story about Christy Sheets, you know, when her grandfather died, she really spiraled and went down, and things happened for her, too. Yes. That he was close. She was really close to him. So here Catherine is, close to this uncle who... Who passed away, and now she's... She's been, she just moved into this new area, and now she, now her uncle died, and so now all she has left is her twin. And we don't know how old she was around this, well, let's see, that was 69? 69, and and she she was born in 55, so that was, she's like 14, that's not, oh, that's a really rough age for a kid. Yeah. Anyway. So, Catherine went to uh, Muss Wellbrooks High School, where she was where her classmates considered her to be a loner and a bully. Ooh. Big shocker. Catherine walked with some of the girls from the school, and some of the boys would start calling out names to the girls, and Catherine actually pulled out a gun, gun, a knife, to threaten them with it. Wow. She wasn't taking nothing. Yeah. She also assaulted a boy with a weapon and and was injured by a teacher who was believed to be using his self-defense. It's hard to believe. But when she wasn't enraged, she was actually a model student. And she won awards for good behavior. Catherine Knight was a very loving and mother-like to her baby brother, Shane. I like that name. I do, too. It's a cute name. Okay. And it was stated that she would bring home her animals... And nursed them back to health and sent them on their way. They were not allowed to keep animals. That was the one thing that they... They had farm animals. But they did not... They were not allowed to have pets. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that that was pretty... A, that, a that was a pretty normal a lot thing. of times in, in farms. They had so many animals to take care of. They couldn't afford any more. Yeah. So... Okay, so Catherine left school at the age of 15, even though she couldn't read or write. Mm, that's so sad. But that's right. how it was back in the day. As from what they said, yeah. that um, in Australia, you were allowed to leave school, I think, at the age of like 14. Mm-hmm. And you could go to doing, you know, cattle farming, mining, all of that yeah. kind of stuff. And... She, her parents agreed to just let her go. You know, I think that happened a lot here in the States, too, back in that day and time. or And even a little, maybe even a little earlier than that. Because, um, especially in rural, I can't say that word, rural areas. Because they needed their kids to work. Yeah. And so... You needed it to, to, they needed to, to live. Yeah, to survive. It, but, um, so, she left school, and she started working as a cutter in a clothing factory. Twelve months later, Catherine left that job and got her, and I quote, dream job, working at a slaughterhouse. Oh, gross. That's your dream job? <laughs> was her dream job. Which, quickly, she was promoted to boning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, she was given her own butcher knives. 
At her house, she would even tie those knives, the knives up over her bed so that they were handy just in case she needed them. Oh, that's just weird. <laughs> yeah. Which is something Catherine Knight did in all of her homes until she was incarcerated. So. Catherine met David Kellett in 1973. David had two traumatic incidents that happened to him. He was a heavy drinker. He was a very heavy drinker. Which I guess made them bond. But the first, the first incident was his best friend was... David had two traumatic incidences that made him a very heavy drinker. The first one was his best friend was killed in front of him in a shunting accident, which I looked it up, and that is a railroad accident. So it's okay, where it's where it's where to it's something to do with the train hitting. Is that like two cars hitting together or something? Something able- sort of like that. It just explains that it's a railroad accident. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's very traumatic. The second one was he actually rescued an injured resident on a school bus in Kempsey and was sh- that was struck by a train, which killed six children. Oh. David eventually lost his job due to his behavior and performance, which I completely understand. Yeah, I don't think I could work for the railroad again. Right. And go back to it if that had happened, seeing six children killed. Uh, yeah, six children. And your best friend. And your best friend, and your had, best friend. Had, had already seen him killed. Yeah. yeah, that would be horrible. But David got a job, and he started working at the slaughterhouse. And he became friends with Catherine Knight's brothers. And, of course, Catherine Knight. And that's how they, got, that's how they met. Catherine Ew. and David, in their small time of being together... Catherine and David would have tons of fights, and some of them would become physical. But they did get married in 1974, which made Catherine around 19 years old. They rode on the ceremony on a motorcycle. Catherine was the driver, and David was on the back seat. He was. Oh my God! She was the driver. <laughs> she was the driver, and he was sitting back. And that was in the seventies. That was in the seventies. Yeah, that, of course I he was drunk that... too. Oh, well, that might be one up. part of it, but why he even allowed that but, to happen? Right as soon as they arrived, Catherine's mother stated this, and it has some curse words, so I apologize, but this is her quote: "You better watch this one, or she'll fucking kill you." Stir you, uh, stir her the wrong way, or do something, or do the wrong thing, and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing her, playing up on her, which is cheating. She'll fucking kill you. Barbara told David she's got something loose. She's got some screws loose somewhere. That was on the night of their wedding. Her own mother said this. Her own mother said this. Yikes. So, now here we go. On the wedding night, David woke up. (laughs) Sorry, there's a fly. David woke up with Catherine straddling him and had her arms around his throat choking him because they only had intercourse two times before he fell asleep. (laughs) 
Catherine told David that her parents had sex five times on their wedding night, and she thought that they that's what they needed to do. Okay, I I don't know how she knew they had sex five times on their wedding mm-hmm. night. Well, you remember the mother but was telling her all about their sexual so encounters. So inappropriate to even know that, and I definitely would not want to compare myself to that. Nope. But anyways, yeah, so their relationship became even more violent. Catherine became pregnant with their first child, where she burned David's clothes and hit him in the back of the head with a frying pan because he came home late from a dart competition. Oh, don't be playing she, darts with her, right? She thought he was cheating, so she took his clothes, burned them, and then hit him with a frying pan in the face. And it's and funny because we tease about things like that. <laughs> you know, I I'm will hit you burn with your clothes. Yeah. I will I'm hit you with a frying pan. Fire pan if you don't mess with me. You know. yeah. If you mess with me, I will beat you. You sleep sometime. I'll hit you with a frying pan. But we yeah. don't really consider doing that. But then now you think, oh my gosh, she was she actually, actually, yeah, doing she actually did. She actually did this. He made it to the neighbor's house before he collapsed. He ended up with several skull fractures. Oh, wow. She really beat him with a frying pan. Yeah, she really beat him. Wow. The police wanted to charge Catherine, but David just let it go. In May of 1976, after having their baby girl named Melissa Ann, David left Catherine for another woman. And they moved away, unable to cope with all the abuse. I, I get it. Don't blame them. But I kind of feel like this is not going to end well. It's not going to end well. <laughs> going on. That night, that next day, Catherine was pushing her baby girl in a pram down the street. She was throwing the pram from side to side, and she was admitted to St. Elmo Hospital and diagnosed with postpartum depression. After several weeks of recovery, Catherine took two-month-old two Melissa and placed her on a railroad before the train was to show up. Well, oh, okay. Oh, OMG, she was doing, she was tossing this pram back and forth side to side. This baby wasn't even two months old. She wasn't even two months old. No, I mean, like, she literally had the baby and he left her with the baby. And to go be with his new girlfriend. And then she's now taking this two-month-old baby and put her on some railroad cr- mm-hmm. crossing. Holy yep. Moly. After several weeks of recovering, Catherine took her two-month-old Melissa and placed her on a railroad before the train was to show up. Then stole an axe and went into town and threatened to kill several people. <laughs> Old man Ted who was near the railroad, found and rescued Melissa a few minutes before the train passed. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. Catherine was arrested and sent back to St. Elmo Hospital, St. Elmo's Hospital, and but Catherine recovered and signed herself out the, follow, the next following day. How did... Yep. Oh, man. How do you sign yourself out when you've just put your baby out to be killed on a... Not really sure. But a oh, few days no. later... Catherine slashed a woman's face with a knife and demanded her to take her to Queensland to find David. The woman uh, escaped from the service station, and Catherine took a young boy as a hostage, and the police disarmed her and admitted her to 
Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. The police told David about the incident, and David left his girlfriend and moved back to um, Aberdeen Mm -hmm. with his mother to support Catherine. Yes. Catherine was released on August 9th, 1976, into the care of her mother-in-law and David, because they're technically still married. Wow. Yep. On March 6th, 1983, David and Catherine had another daughter, Natasha. Then on 19, uh, then around 1984, Catherine left David finally and moved back home to her parents. So she was fine with leaving him, but he wasn't allowed to leave her. <laughs> no. Well, of course. So then Catherine meets. David Sanders, at the uh, at the age of thirty one in nineteen eighty six. After only a couple of months, they moved in together. Uh, he moved in with her daughters. They were on again and off again, a lot because of her jealousy. But in May of nineteen ninety seven, after a fight with Sanders, she hit him in the face with an iron and. St- Stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Okay. Wow. She's um. She's cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Yeah, and they just let her. They put her in and let her back out. Let her sign herself out. The police pick her up, put her in custody, and then she signs herself out. So there's no. I, I don't get this. I don't get how. I I don't either. Really on this. But the timeline is just, it, it's its amazing. It really is. In June of 1988, they had a daughter together named Sarah. So this is the third daughter. So this is the third daughter. Second man, third daughter. Catherine would decorate their house with fur, uh, with animal furs and bones and horns and rest, uh, horns. Like the skulls, you know, the yeah, the like antlers the and stuff like that. Yes. Stuff, yeah. Um, rusty animal traps, all kinds of stuff. Like, there was not a place, uh, there wasn't like a space of a wall that wasn't covered in some kind of death. And these poor... The documentary children. I watched, like, it shows you the house that she lived in. And it was... It was just covered in animals and um, like rusty knives and traps that you would catch a bear with and all that. I mean, it was it, it was dangerous, absolutely dangerous. And she had these small children in she had these children in it. Oh wow, I I just can't imagine. David told Catherine, of course, this is the the new baby daddy told Catherine he was leaving her. So Catherine knocked David out with a frying pan. Again. Another frying pan. She's, had, she's got frying, frying pans. pans. Yeah. I mean, people not, don't not need to let her have frying pans. And then when he woke up, he found that she had slit the throat of his dingo pup Aww. in front of him warning him. Oh, poor baby puppy. <laughs> that next day, Catherine went to her sister's house, Joy, her sister Joy's house, with a gun in her hand and stated that she killed David. 
two reasons for telling people this was to get a reaction out of people, but it was also because she was actually planning out his death. Afterwards, he went into hiding, and mm-hmm. no one admitted to knowing to knowing where he was. A few months later, David... I mean, obviously, she didn't kill him, but she was planning on it. But please tell me he took this child with him into hiding. A few months later, David Sanders came back to see his daughter. And Catherine had an AVO, which is an apprehensive violent order, violence order against him. So he wasn't even allowed to see his baby again. Yeah, because he beat himself with the frying pan, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Now you're getting it? <laughs> So then, we're coming into the pattern. Okay. Now Catherine meets John Chillingworth in 1990. She was 30, uh, she was 35 years old. John worked with Catherine at the slaughterhouse, and that following year, she gave birth to a baby boy named Eric. My lord, as many babies, she's got as many baby daddies as she does babies. So, pretty much, her pattern is she cannot be single. So she finds a man, she gets pregnant, she has a baby with him, violence, 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 and then she wants to leave them. They can't leave her. It's okay if it's she okay. has to leave them, but it's not yes. okay if they have to leave so, her. Yes, so this is the pattern of what she's been doing this whole time. Wow. The last relation, uh, their relationship lasted about three years before she just got up and left him without telling him. Catherine Knight had four children with three different men, and all of these men claimed that she had abused them. Now, it sounds like she did abuse them. She was the abuser in the situation. Wow. In October of 1993, Catherine Knight met Jonathan Charles Thomas Price, who was born on April 4th, 1955. They were both 30, 38 years old. They met in a bar in town. John Price was the father of three children. Their names were Jonathan, Rebecca, and Rosemary. When Catherine Knight met him, um, he was an average block, bloke, as they called him. An mm-hmm. average bloke. And he was a terrific guy. He made good money. He worked in the local mines. All of his friends called him Pricey. His marriage failed in 1988. His two-year-old daughter stayed and lived with his ex-wife, while the other two lived with him. But his ex-wife stated that he was always a good father and never had a problem with each other. Catherine Price. Catherine Price. John Price knew Catherine's violent reputation but still moved her into his home with his children and her children. Wow. He is not a brilliant guy. The relationship took on the same pattern as all the others, but this time, Catherine didn't get pregnant. My guess is the fact that she's, you know, getting up there in age. It's harder to get pregnant. She was, what, you said 38 at this time? Yeah, Yeah, she was about 38. But there was the domestic abuse she would beat him Catherine said he would hit her too but no one could tell you if this was actually true or not his children said pricey had scars on his body from where she would stab him before 
Pricey's nickname for Catherine was a speckled hen because her claws would get you. Ew. Yeah. In 1998, Catherine found that John's will was left, he left everything to his ex-wife and children. Nothing to her. Oh, that's she was very upset and demanded $10,000 to leave, but he refused to give her anything. So she made a videotape of all the things that John allegedly, and I would throw up the quotation marks on this, allegedly stole from his work, which were outdated medical kits that, and sent the tape to his boss. Mm. Pricey was fired. After working there for 17 years. Wow. Now, they don't, um, you know, I think, I would think that if you've been working for a place for 17 years and you don't have a record with them, that they would give you a benefit of a doubt and at least look into this before just, okay, yeah. you're fired. Yep. I mean, maybe they did. We don't know, but. It Don't really know like for they sure. Probably didn't. But from what everybody's saying, I mean, like it was that. it was just. I mean, it was stuff that was in the trash, that he just took home with him, is mm-hmm. what they're saying. But yet she turned it all in, and she had it on videotape, and she was even, you know, she was narrating it for them on all the things he took. Wow. On yeah. videotape and doing that, she was out to get him then. She's out for revenge always. She's always, yeah. She, she's, she is something else. That same day, John kicked Catherine out. And she had to return to her own home. So, they were not together for, for a while. And nobody, nobody liked her. None of his friends liked her. Well, I can't, at this point, believe them. <laughs> yeah. A few months later, she and John restarted their relationship. But John did not move her back into the house. Between at least during that They mode. fought constantly, and most of his friends would no longer come around while she was with him. While he was with her, not with him. She would sit John's children down and tell tell them like that John wasn't the real daddy and tried to hurt the ch- children emotionally whenever they got into fights. Oh, see, why do people bring these poor innocent children into these? Right. Catherine's younger children were now in school and she'd be alone a lot of the times at home and she would just watch horror movies and enjoy the death that surrounded her because told you about the house that she decorated with all the animal yeah, skins and bones. Her. And, Ew, that's so gross. Yeah. But what I completely forgot to put into this is that a while back, a while back, I can't remember exactly when it was, but she has been laid off from the slaughterhouse. Oh, so she's not working She's there. not working. And I think this is what saved a lot of people is that she was slaughtering. And now she's not doing anything. She has hurt her back or something, and so she's not allowed to work. She's just on workers' comp. Okay, yeah. Now. So she's not doing anything but just sitting at home now watching these horror movies and... Eating bonbons. Eating bonbons. Or popping a bag of popcorn. (laughs) Popping a bag of popcorn, yep. But on February... Okay, here we go. On February 28, 2000, 
John Price, showed some of the guys at work the scars that Catherine had stabbed him and told them then the next day, the next day he told his boss that he was going to have to go down to the courthouse and to the police station and get a restraining order on Catherine to keep her away from him and his children. Things started getting... I wonder what made him say, okay, today, that's enough. Um, from what the documentary was stating is they got into a really big fight. And um, he told her to leave this time and leave for good. And she wasn't going to leave. Oh, so now he's got to do something. He's got to go file something to make He's got to file so that he can get out. He's got to get her to leave. Okay. Yes. Okay. Completely forgot to put that in. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That's okay. That's, uh, you know. He told his co-workers that if he didn't show up tomorrow for work, then that meant that Catherine killed him. Oh. (sighs) He went home to find that his children, uh... Went to spend the night with some friends. So he went and spent majority of his night with his neighbors. Around 11 p.m. on February 29th, 2000. He Ooh, was a leap year. It was. He returned home to go to sleep in his house. Earlier that day, Catherine Knight bought lingerie, made a videotape of all of her children at Natasha's house while making comments. And I don't know why it would say Natasha's house. Natasha is still pretty young. So maybe it's Joy's house. I'm sorry. It must have been Joy's. But um, while making comments of like, pretty much like she's trying to make a video of a confession to a certain extent of how much she loves her children and like, she's saying goodbye to a certain extent to them. She knows she's getting she ready to do something. She knows something is going to happen. Okay. Yeah, I thought that makes sense. If she knows, she knows she's planning. That, though, not smart for her because that shows some premeditation right there. Yes. While John Price was sleeping, Catherine arrived at his place around 11.30 p.m. She watched some TV. She had a shower. She put on her sexy nighty. She woke Pricey up and had sex with him. And then John fell back asleep. He's a man. Around 6 a.m. that next morning, the neighbors were concerned because Price's car was still in the driveway. And also, his co-workers were concerned because Pricey always was the first person to show up for work. He was a very reliable person. John's work called, but the phone just kept ringing. Both the neighbors and the co-workers started knocking on the door and the windows to wake him up. But then they found blood on the front door and called the police. Oh, ouch. That's not good. Not good for John. Not looking good for pricing. Yep. The police then showed up around 8 a.m. They broke down the door. They found John Price's body along with Catherine Knight's comatose body from taking too many pills. Mm. Catherine was placed in the ambulance and taken to the hospital, but people stated that she looked sane and had a smile on her face. See, this reminds me of Christy Sheets, too, because you remember at the end of it when she stood up and walked towards those police officers? Sorry, this might be a... 
if you haven't listened to the first one that we did about Christy Sheets, and this might be always a listen record. to the first episode. Always, I'm really bad about referring back. Sorry about that. I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but yeah, she had that smile on her face. So, mm-hmm. ooh. The police found evidence, bloody evidence, that he woke up from being stabbed and tried to turn on the lights. But before Catherine, before he could, uh, before he could, Catherine chased him through the house. John tried to open the front door to get outside, but he was dragged back down the hall, where he officially bled out. Price's autopsy showed that he was stabbed 37 times in the front and back of his body. Mm. After a few few hours later, John Price died. Catherine then, and this is where it's going to get really bad and I apologize. Catherine then skinned his body and hung his skin from a neat hook. In the door frame of the lounge room. Oh. Catherine then beheaded John Price and cooked parts of his body. Ooh, I got served, Oh, I got oh, yeah. chills. Okay, and then served the meat with baked potatoes, pumpkin, zucchini, and yellow squash, cabbage, Beetroot and gravy. She set the dinner table with notes beside each plate, and each of them having the name of one of John's children. She was planning to serve the body, uh, the body parts, to his children. Some of the meal so was put. Some of the meal was put on the lawn. For an unknown reason. But they speculated that Catherine tried to actually eat the meal, but couldn't. Catherine stated that she had no memory of this crime, and she tried to plead insane. But was completely sane at the time of the killing, and skinned his body and then cooked all the body parts. Cooked his body parts in his head. The police found his head in the pot... Oh. With the vegetables, and it was still warm. Oh! Oh! So she literally just took the pills and just passed out. Oh! Gross. The police figured that she cooked it earlier that morning. Oh. And Catherine left a handwritten note with blood stains and, blood stains and pieces of flesh. And it reads, and this will show, it kind of shows how, uh, how her handwriting and... And vocabulary and all of that is because she really can't. Time to go back, Jonathan, which she spelled it wrong, and for uh, time to get back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You too, Beck, which was Price's daughter, and Ross for for little John, his son. Now play. With, uh, play with little Johnny's dick and John's price. It she doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make it. any sense at all. But she never was able to learn how to read or write. So, so grammar was pretty much grammar not, wasn't wasn't her not present was yeah. Catherine spent a couple of days in the hospital and told the police that she had no memory of what happened, but. 
there were two problems with her story. One was the greed, which Catherine later that night went and withdrew $1,000 from John Price's account at the ATM. So she just went and killed him. I don't remember about killing him, but I did get $1,000 out of the ATM. (laughs) And also three weeks earlier... Catherine told one of her brothers that she was going to kill Pricey. And she was going to do it in a way that would make people think she was crazy. And she was going to get away with it. Oh. Her brother actually went to the police and told them about this incident. Catherine first rejected her plea. Her plea deal for manslaughter. On March 2nd, 2001, she pleaded not guilty in court for the murder of John Price. October 15th, 2001, the trial started for the jury part. When the jur- when the trial started, the Justice Bar O'Keefe asked the jurors to be excused due to the photographic pictures and 60 jurors walked out. So pretty much like... They gave them the option to see this because it was so bad. It was so gruesome. The pictures itself were completely disgusting and they couldn't even, they didn't want to show. Yeah. As a true crime fan, this one's, just, this one's a doozy. It really I don't is. know that I would want to be a part of that jury to want to see that when she skinned him. He didn't even give them that much information on this before six, I mean, 60 jurors just walked out. There was only five left. 60 are like, so Peace out. Catherine Knight's attorney asked for a break until the next day. They asked for a psychologist screening, uh, screening done. Catherine understood what she meant, uh, what was meant for the plea, uh, to plead guilty, uh, to plead guilty and insane. To plead guilty and sane to making the plea deal. The psychiatrist found that Catherine Knight suffered from borderline personality disorders, but no reason was ever given of why Catherine Knight took, uh, ever given, and Catherine still doesn't take full on responsibility for his murder, but she did plead guilty. Well, I mean, at least she saved some of them. Some of the family that that's exactly what I was trial, but she saved the jury from hearing this horrific, gory murder. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I didn't think about that. That she saved the jury of it too. Yeah. That even made one of the police officers go to counseling, and still, and was in counseling for six to nine months, still not recovering from it after seeing this. I I could. The other office. The other officer left the force completely and never came back. Yeah. He walked away. He couldn't, he couldn't handle it because it was so bad. They said that they actually touched the skin. They thought it was just a drape. Oh. Oh. When Catherine was finally sentenced, <sighs> at her hearing, the lawyer uh, asked to excuse Catherine from hearing the facts. But the, uh, but the application was refused, and Timothy Loins 
took the stand and described the skinning and beheading that Catherine became, and that's when Catherine became very hysterical and needed to be sedated. 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 Thank you. November 8th of 2001, Justice O'Keefe, which was the, I believe he was considered the judge, talked about the nature of the crime. No, he was a lawyer. I'm sorry. He was a lawyer. The nature of the crime and Catherine Knight's lack of remorse and sentenced her to life in prison, never to be released. This is the first time in Australian history that this was imposed on a woman. Well, I think it was about time. Yeah. Now, in June of 2006, Catherine Knight appealed her life sentence without possibility of parole, saying it was too severe. But the court system dismissed the appeal, and the New Wales Court of Criminal Appeal in September. That Justice Mc... I can't even say that last name. Mc... McLean? McClellan. McClellan. Writing, writing to his judgment that this was an appalling crime and, mo- and most beyond contempt, contemplation. contemplation of civil society. One of Price's daughters said at the end of the documentary that she just couldn't hate her. And I really wanted to bring this up because this woman... She lost her dad mm-hmm. in a, the most absolute horrific, horrific thing that could ever happen to somebody. Yeah, and yet she doesn't hate. And she said, I just, I can't hate her. She said, my dad never held a grudge. He always told me, be happy, baby. Just be happy. Oh. That's the kind of man he was. He was just, a, he never held a grudge on anything. And he just wanted his family to be happy, and so that's what they're doing. They're being happy, and they're not holding a grudge against her. But thank God she did plead guilty. Thankfully, yes, and so she is in jail, and she was no parole, right? No parole. She is still in jail as of now. You said that no parole in there. That, to me, is amazing because this is relatively. Relatively not that old of a case. I mean, this was in the 2000s, and that was the first. That's 20 years ago. I mean, it's really interesting, though. Wow, that's 20 years ago. Yeah, quit making me old. So, but even 20 20 years ago is really not that far back. You think of that that was the first woman in Australia that got a life sentence with no parole. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is just... It was so horrific. Hearing the, hearing the testimonies of the, I mean, this, this was a very hard one for me to do because it, there was so much gore mm-hmm. to it. And I really like played this up nice. <laughs> there was a lot more in those documentaries, which we will put the feeds of what I actually did on our Your sources and all. Yeah, yeah. All of our sources and also the book that I read, but um, the sheriff who actually went into that house and what he saw, I mean, it just, it's just unbelievable. It's literally unbelievable of what, yeah. I mean, can, 
I, I can't even imagine. I could not imagine. I, I couldn't imagine being in that position and seeing that and then having to try and go about a daily life once again. Just, you know, how's it all? No. No. I mean, he, he, was, in, he was in therapy for a good long while over that. I'm sure... The other guy, I'm sure he was in therapy, but he just couldn't go back. They had, he took a he took a leave of absence for yeah. good. I, you can I can't blame him because you know as a police officer that you're going to a murder scene most of the time. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't. Yeah. So what happens if you go to a you know somebody's called in and you don't know what's going on? And you walk into a murder scene and you have been such tra- traumatized so bad. From something you have seen, you just freeze up, and there's somebody in there with a gun that can kill you. You can't. Yeah. You shouldn't be able, or shouldn't not be able to, but you shouldn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't want to be in that position because you can't back up your partner or anything else. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things there's you a, have to consider too, not just oh, that was gross. I can't see that again. <sighs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very horrific thing. Um, not Rebecca. Uh, the younger daughter, the youngest daughter, she did not find about, found out about this. She actually had to find out through the news, and she oh. had to ask, "Is this my dad?" And she oh. was just, "Yeah, this is your dad. This happened to your dad." In this day and age, it's. I mean, there is no reason. Why something like that should happen, and that the press—I don't care here, Australia, England, anywhere—should well, be able to get those things out before well, the families are all noticed. I think the family was notified, but they but couldn't they, find her. I think because she was so much younger, they tried to shield her from it, and she actually found out. Still, uh, maybe she knew he was dead, but didn't. But didn't know the full story. Didn't know how he died. It. Then, oh, yeah, oh. That's terrible, too. That is very terrible. And, you know, I told you all about how, I mean, she yielded the the knife at a very young age. I mean, just when she was walking home with those girls and the boys were yelling at them and she had the knife out. That was actually considered, uh, they weren't supposed to have knives at all. And they all could have gotten in some serious trouble, so just nobody said a word. Well, that, to me, is not unusual for that age period and age that she was that those kids wouldn't turn her in or do anything. Because, True. You know, 13, 14-year-olds, they all think, they don't think that anybody's serious. Nobody, they don't think that, Yes. you know, I'm going to live forever, that whole thing that they And the whole in. other thing, the knives, she's always been about knives. Everything's yeah. been about the knives. Her dream job was a slaughterhouse. So she that learned <sighs> She learned how to slaughter. She learned how to do all that stuff. That curbed her appetite for all these other men that she's been with. I have to say she had to have been a very stout woman too. To They actually said and I completely forgot to put this in here, but she looked like a generic woman. She had red curly hair. She was thin. She was tall. She had wiry glasses. She was okay looking. She was 
she was, they considered her a handsome woman. Okay. Not a beautiful woman, a handsome. Right, yeah. It, but they say that, like, if you walked past her in a grocery store, you wouldn't have ever thought that she was a murderer. She wasn't remarkable like that. She wasn't remarkable. Or but then again, what does a murderer look like? You well, I mean, we've been watching in. some of those series. We have been and, watching and some and of the series. some of them, they, they look like killers. But when then we saw the one where he looks like he's 12, he looked like he was 12 years old when he committed this murder. He, you know, really and truly, let's I face mean, it, there is no looks like a murderer. You can't say, because we can go down the street and look at somebody and go, oh my God, he looks like a murderer. And he may be the best person that you're ever going to meet. Exactly. We just don't know what a murderer looks like. That's, so that's a, it's a very stereotype. Yeah, stereotypical it's, it's very, thing to say. Yes, yeah, so th- I think that's the reason I didn't put it in there, but she was, I mean, she was very thin, but she was tall. Now, when the murder did happen, um, Catherine Knight's ex-husband, David, his family was like, oh my God, that's, that's Kathy. Kathy, that's from, Kathy did this. Dude, that could have been you. And he was like, I can't believe it was never me. Yeah, yeah, could have very well been. I bet everybody she was with was like, oh my God, that could have been me. Yeah, and then from, I mean, everybody said that she was a very abusive person all the way up through. And I believe, from what they said, that John Price was too. But nobody could actually ever state, I mean, it was just her word. Right. She said he was abusive, but nobody else yes. seemed to think that. But she said that about all of them, that they were all abusive. Well. But she's the one that beat them with frying pans. So but she beat them with a frying say, pan. So. That. But I have to say, though, even though she may have been thin, I still think that she had to have been somewhat of a... Okay, stout might be the wrong word. Okay, maybe she was strong. thin. But she had to have been strong to work in a slaughterhouse in the yes. beginning because... I know I watch, you know, I like to watch Food Network and all of those things. But yes. there are uh, some of those on like Chopped mm-hmm. where these women are butchers and they have to, there was one, I mean, they pick up these these half of a lamb or, or you know, or half of a cow and they slaughter them in, in a butcher shop. This lady runs a oh, butcher wow. shop. She was not big or anything else, but she has to be strong to and lift that sucker to up, lift it up and throw it on that table and then start cutting it up and it's not easy to cut through bone and and all of that with those butcher knives and yes. hacking it and doing all that stuff. So the the book that I read is Beyond Bad. Okay. And she talks a lot about the slaughterhouse. A lot about it. Mm-hmm. And in the slaughterhouse it is a man's world. There's only a few women in there. I'm sure. I'm sure that, and that to would be, be true. A, the one in the boning, where yeah. you do that. Mo- I mean, she went into real graphic details of it, of all the blood and all of that stuff. And you either you have to get used to it, or you just have to get out. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that would be true. And so, yeah, I'm sure you you have to. They put them on hooks, and then they right. they have to to open them up. And let everything drain out. And then they start slicing off the meat. And she was the one that sliced the meat off. That's what the boner did. They they sliced the meat off the bones. They went around the bones. They went around the bones stuff. and got yeah. all that stuff oh. off. I, I so should she not knew, imagine doing that, period. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she knew her way around. 
But, you know, I had a friend at one point that worked in a chicken house. Ugh. Yeah, and so, and, and, you know, we've all been behind those chicken trucks and those oh, things. Oh, I've been in so, chicken, like the chicken farms. I've went past them. And oh, so the, the smell and the stuff. And and if you go downtown in Chattanooga, there is a, a, a chicken processing plant right there in downtown. When you drive by there on a hot summer day, it stinks. Oh, yeah. And she said, you know, she said that was a really hard job to do. I could not imagine it. I would never be able to eat a chicken again. Mm-mm. No. I don't I don't think I could ever do it again. I remember as a kid having to pluck a chicken. The, the chicken was already dead and we were supposed to be plucking it. And that's hard work. You would not think it. Yes. Well, I'm glad you brought that up about yeah. having to pluck it. Okay. They, um, Ken... Uh, Ken Knight, okay. Barbara, that whole family, they would bring home and they would slaughter their own meat to do their own meat that way. So they would back, I mean, back in the outback. Yeah. Ken was the, was the person who did, I mean, he was the provider. So you probably she, hunted and brought those animals back, and they were the ones. Yeah. No wonder her dream job was a slaughterhouse yeah. then. And all the family in. took part in slaughtering these animals. So, I guess. So, I mean, it was just always in her upbringing. She didn't, it wasn't a thought. But, I think. Like, it, we have, we don't, we I, have always just went to the grocery store and got it. Yes. We haven't raised it or hunted for it, and then. Yes. And, the psychiatrist part of it from the documentary that I did watch, it was stating that, yes, she went into that fight and flight mode and she was a mm-hmm. fighter, but it was all because they saw so much violence and they said that her brain just, it didn't develop like normal people's did after that point. And so she just, I can she, see that when the you... killing just became a natural thing for her. I just, but I just, That's so I, I just, sad to think it's that sad, but I hate to normal. try to make her. But I don't want to excuse her. I don't want to. I don't want to give her an excuse for any of this. You really can't. And poor, poor Pricey. Right. I mean, it. You really. I mean, truly, he actually knew he was gonna be murdered. Yeah. That. I mean that. It, that's sad. It's. It's really scary that. You know. Because there are other people in this world that have that are abused. There are other children that are abused and things that happen. And there are hundreds and thousands of people that have been raised on farms and slaughtered their meat and done all that. I mean, we were just with family today at lunch, and you know, and and my niece was talking about how they are. They've moved in uh, up north, and now they're on a farm, and they go over, and they're slaughtering the, the pigs, you know, oh, yeah. and doing that stuff. And that's, and back then, and I remember when you were little, we read about, uh, we, we read the Little House in the Prairie series, and we were talking yes. about that today. And, you know, they did that. So, people in history, all along, in America, in Australia, everywhere have done this. And there are too many of them that not everyone becomes a murderer. Yeah. So and there's just either something there's wrong with her. Abuse in the family doesn't mean that you become a murderer. No, it doesn't being excuse raped, you. It does not excuse it does not, you. It does not give you the and right being to raped, do that. Right, which is a hearsay at this point. 
does not make you a murderer either. Right. All of these things do not, it's something wrong in her brain. There had to there, have been something that there's was just, not right about her. I mean, she's just cuckoo. Right. I mean, she's just pure evil. This was just an absolute nightmare. Yeah. That all of this would happen. And I just, I feel for those children yeah. that have to go through this for her children and for his. His children are all older now. Yeah. But they still miss out on their dad. Yeah. I mean, you never, you it's, never. I mean, this has been 20 years now. And that yeah. it's just yeah, heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. It is. It's, it's horrible. And but just, man, I told you this was a horror film. It was. And supposedly there is supposed to be this horror film, but I've not found any release date on it or anything else about it. It just said that there was supposed to be one and never found anything else about it. Yeah. Wow. That is a crazy, crazy story for this one. (laughs) So that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you for listening to Mama's Nightmare. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcast, Podbean, Google Podcast, or wherever you're listening. Your comment can be anything, even just one word. It helps us create an algorithm and helps us get our name out there. You can also hit subscribe or follow so you don't miss out on next week's nightmare, where I will be telling Alicia about the murder of Garnet Paul Spears. We also have a Facebook and Instagram at Mama's Nightmare Pod, where we will post pictures from each of our episodes. Also, if you have any suggestions on any cases you'd like us to cover, please email us at nightmare at mama's nightmare pod at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Alicia and Rhonda, and we hope you have nothing but sweet dreams. Bye.